2: Hello, hello.
1: Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking It, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I, I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice. And I encourage you to do. Don't worry if there are thousands of something out that you want to do. No, nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.naacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: What's overthrowing the government? My consortium of shady financial interests.
5: Ooh, West, 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 West. What's up? What's up? It's, yeah, I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that was
4: awful. Uh, on, this top. is Behind the Insurrections, uh, the by, Behind the Bastards miniseries about fascist yeah. attempts to seize power. Uh, and this is our last episode of this beautiful miniseries. Aww. We did have a seventh episode planned, but um, I Aww. had some personal news uh that's that's gonna uh alter our work schedule a little bit but we will get to that yeah. episode at some point but not next week um yeah. uh my guest uh, with this one as as with always uh on our mini series uh jason petty aka prop what's up what's up what's up proper g's in a building now prop i'm gonna cut yes. right to the chase have you heard cut. of the business plot no Oh good good. Well one of the things that's fun about this Is that um, uh, One of our characters from behind the police Is the main character of of this story Um, Our old friend Smedley Butler Yeah uh, the guy who ran the police In Philadelphia the Marine General That's that's going to be exciting Yeah I know that guy So The business plot is, there's a reason why you haven't heard of it. Uh, A lot of people have put in a lot of effort to make sure that people don't talk about this anymore. Um, Imagine a cadre of plutocratic bankers, financiers, and media moguls all conspired to take over U.S. democracy and institute a fascist state hidden as a fake democracy. Um, Shouldn't take a whole lot of imagination.
3: Wait, Uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Yeah. um that's what people say the record industry is yeah the record industry or yeah, the okay. way a lot of our government works right now like the fact yeah. that janet yellen uh had financial ties to one of the giant hedge funds that uh shut down the game stock trading and stuff like yeah you know yes it may sound that sounds familiar to people um yes. but usually we're talking about it most people are talking about it, you know when we talk about like well there's a cadre of elites who control you know the government Um, They mean it in sort of a a deep state sense. But there was a time where the wealthiest men in America engaged in a very real conspiracy to have a paramilitary army seize the levers of power, overthrow the president Uh and institute a fascist state. Um, And there's people alive today who lived through it. Uh, It happened in the 30s so yeah 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 this is this is a story people should know um i think you'll find this one interesting prop so okay this is
5: good this is gonna be one of those ones where i'm like i'm actually going in
4: yeah (laughs) this is a fun Uh, one yes so our our story starts with one of my favorite historical figures as i told you major general smedley butler we're talking about old smedley again um smedley So we're going to start by talking about him because he's at the center of all this. So Smedley Butler was born in 1881. He was the eldest son of a Quaker family from Westchester, Pennsylvania. His father, Thomas, was a congressman, and uh, his maternal Uh grandfather was in Congress as well. So this is a guy who comes from a lot of privilege and power. Um, Okay. He attended the Haverford School, which is a secondary school for rich kids from Philadelphia, and he thrived in this upper crust elite institution. Uh, he became captain of the school baseball team and quarterback of the football team, and he seemed to be on the road to a career in politics or business. But then 38 days before his 17th birthday, he left school to enlist in the United States Marine Corps. Um, so he's on okay. like a path to follow you know, into business or into politics. And then when he's 16, he leaves home to join the Marines. Now, this pisses off his dad, uh, who didn't want his kid joining the Marines, but the reason Smedley had joined is that the Spanish-American War had just started, which we chatted about a bit last week, and Smedley wanted to fight. Um, So he lied about his age to the Marines and was commissioned as a second lieutenant. He landed in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, shortly after it was captured, and he didn't see any action there. Uh, his unit was sent back to the mainland and he could have been cashiered out, you know, gone back into go, you know, doing a business thing. But he decided to stay in the Marines and take a commission as a first lieutenant and go fight in the Philippines. Um, he was yeah. not immediately good at war. He was uh, initially tasked with garrison duty, which bored him so much that he just spent all of his time drunk. He was at one point relieved of command temporarily due to something he did in his bedroom, which is all that we know about the incident. He did, he, he, did, he did something with alcohol in his bedroom that made his superiors be like this guy can't be in charge of people for a while oh, Lord.
5: <laughs> leave that man alone. yeah
4: yeah fill, fill in the blanks you know yeah man <laughs> yeah. let that man live um so in October of 1899 he saw his first combat action when he led 300 marines to conquer a town from the people who you know lived there right like yeah. <laughs> this is a colonial, a brutal colonial war We're still we, colonial got like, it like <laughs> he's he's a, he's the bad guy right we're we're the bad guys in that war um yeah and butler fell in love with battle uh, and with the marine corps he, uh, he just was very and was very good at fighting like he it, this is a, a really mm-hmm. difficult desperate uh, situation and he he uh, comports himself well he's good at, at, at leading men in combat um, and he f- becomes after fighting so enthralled with the Marine Corps that he hires a tattoo artist to give him a full from his neck to his belly tattoo of the Marine Corps emblem Ooh-wee. like
5: okay. this he's
4: very into the Marines okay <laughs>
5: <Yeah>. <laughs>
4: loves Dang. him some being a Marine yeah
5: <laughs> You getting a full day? Mm-hmm. That's that's some uh, that's some that's some Ben Affleck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
4: well, I think <laughs> yeah. The, the, there's I know people, including some Marine vets, who will argue that the the Marine Corps is kind of the cultiest of the of the military branches. Yeah, um, yeah. and some might argue that's because they're the best at what they do. Um, but some Butler do is definitely that. drinking the fucking Kool Aid, right? Drunk it, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yep so he gets sent to china next as part of the u.s detachment sent over during the boxer rebellion Uh, he's wounded in combat and despite having a bullet like one of his men gets hurt and he runs out to get him and gets shot in the leg and despite having a bullet in his leg he drags multiple men to safety while actively under fire and bleeding um and again the boxer rebellion another brutal colonial action um but He's, he comports himself very well. Uh, now, at that mm. time, commissioned officers were unable to receive the Medal of Honor. Otherwise, he probably would have earned one, but he received some decorations for his gallantry under fire. Smedley Butler would spend the next like couple of decades as he would grow into what was probably the best soldier in the American Empire. Like He is an mm. exceptional imperial soldier. Um, he fights in the Banana Wars, which were a series of police actions and intervention in the Caribbean and in Central America, made on behalf of U.S. business interests, killing yeah. people for he's 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 killing people for banana companies. He's killing people for United yeah, 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 Fruit, yeah. you know. Uh, he fights in Honduras, where he was constantly near death with fever uh, and received the nickname "Old Gimlet Eye" because the, his eye, his every like he, he was he looked terrifying. He was this gaunt, uh, scar filled monster with bloodshot eyes. Um, and like just feverish. Yeah, that's his... The old gimlet eye is like, he looks like a fucking... uh, A wraith, you know? I Uh,
5: love this guy so far. Except for his... Except for his colonial...
4: Colonial stuff, yeah. Yeah, he's fighting on the wrong side, but he's objectively a badass. Um, So Butler racks up promotion after promotion. He enforces U.S. foreign policy in Nicaragua. He's sent Uh as a spy during the Mexican-American War. He's sent as a spy to Mexico City or one of the wars that we fought with Mexico. He sent us a spy to Mexico City to help the United States gather information for the siege of Veracruz, which a lot of people don't know we were doing in the early 1900s. We like bombed Veracruz. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, There's a good Warren Zevon song about it. Butler was one of nearly 60 American servicemen who received medals of honor for their service in Mexico because he fights in in Veracruz as well. Uh, and virtually all of those medals were complete bullshit. Like they hand out 60 medals of, of honor for the siege of Veracruz and they're doing it because Woodrow Wilson, the president, knows that like this is an ugly colonial war and he wants to dress it up by making it look like by putting out a bunch of stories of heroism and stuff so he hands out the military's highest honor like candy and there's actually a bunch of it's a big controversy at the time because a lot of veterans are like you're devaluing the medal of honor by using it this way um and smedley butler receives one of these show medals of honor and he tries to return it arguing that he'd done nothing to deserve it and he shouldn't get it uh but he's ordered by his superiors to keep the medal and wear it on his uniform um, so you're seeing he's start he's starting to like realize like that's kind of messed up why why like yeah. i I don't deserve this. don't give this to me, yeah.
5: um, I like that yeah See, he's he keeps me he keeps me like imbalanced, here. yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna. He, he's 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 a growth story, Smedley. Smedley's always yeah. changing. Um, yeah, especially knowing because of the behind the police stuff. Like, <laughs> I know where this guy lands. Mm-hmm. Where I'm just like, Why am I feeling any yeah. sympathy about you? Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, that's that's not even quite. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. So in oh. Haiti,
4: in Haiti, Butler wins his second Medal of Honor, um, and this was one for actual fighting. His unit was sent into the country when the president was murdered by a mob. Uh, Butler and his troops were repeatedly outnumbered by insurgents and over a long campaign succeeded in breaking the insurgency and establishing order for the U.S.-backed dictatorship. Butler himself helped organize the Haitian police, and in his own recollection, he and his men hunted enemy rebels, quote, like pigs. Um, so again, this, he is a brutal soldier of empire, like building the police force for a dictator. Um, you, know, you, you have to <laughs> kind of look at what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Yeah, it's not great. Um, it's it's not great. Now Smedley was promoted to brigadier general at age 37. Uh, he was and remains one of the most highly decorated soldiers in the entire history of the United States military. He's got two medals of honor. Um, and he's, he's like, you know, as a general rule, generals don't get medals of honor. Certainly not two of them. Um, They don't tend to be fighting guys, but Smedley is a fighting guy. He's not a stand back Mm -hmm. and give orders. He's a get stuck in kind of dude. Um, He desperately wanted to fight in France during World War One, but he was not assigned combat duty. This is probably because by the later stage of his career, he was seen as politically unreliable due to the tendency he developed over the years to say exactly what he felt. Uh, Butler retired in late 1931. He ran for Senate in 1932, supporting prohibition, but he was defeated. And in the late stage of his career while he's still in the Marines is when he's running the police in Philadelphia during that brief tenure. Um, So this is, you know, our story starts after he's, you know, he he took what he learned in Haiti and tried to apply it to the Philadelphia police. It didn't work out great, but he's kind of the father in a lot of ways, one of the fathers of militarizing the U.S. police. Okay. Um And now he's he's retired. He tries to get into politics. Yeah. He's not good at it. Um And by the early 1930s, Smedley Butler, who is, is probably the greatest soldier in any empire ever had, um had started to change his mind on some things. A lot of this had to do with the Great Depression and a social movement that it spawned called the Bonus Army. The gist of it is that when the economy crashed, a bunch of World War I veterans found themselves unemployed and in a lot of cases homeless and starving. These guys had been given what were called service certificates in 1924, which was the government saying, we will pay you a bunch of money for what you did in the war, but not yet, because these were bonds. So they couldn't redeem them until 1945, right? And the idea was like-
5: Imaginary money.
4: Yeah, imaginary money that like in 30 years, this will be enough money to maybe retire on, but like not now, but there's, we're starving now, you know, like I can't wait another 15 years. Cool. Um, so, obviously, yeah, in 1924, this had seemed like a good deal, but after two years of economic collapse, a lot of people just couldn't wait anymore. Uh, and in June of 1932, more than 40,000 veterans protested in Washington, D.C. Uh, they called themselves the Bonus Expeditionary Force or the Bonus Army, and they advocated for Congress to pass an immediate soldier's bonus for serving in World War I. Now, again, we're all living through our own version of, of something similar. So you know what comes yeah. next. Congress adjourned without actually doing anything. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Here we go.
4: This pisses the bonus army off and they started getting loud and unruly. So the cop shot two of them, uh, which eventually provoked a riot. The whole mass of men set up this enormous camp in order to hold up and wait for Congress to do something. Right. They, they like build a camp and they're like, we're not leaving until you give us some fucking money. Um, the bill makes its way into Congress, but it gets defeated. Congress, based on some powerful financial interests, decides it's too expensive to pay these veterans. Um, so they lose, they don't get their bonus, but the camp doesn't disperse. Um, and when the camp doesn't disperse, the Hoover administration announces that it's sending in the army to evict the soldiers. Now it was at this point that general Smedley Butler visited the camp. Um, he told the soldiers that he thought they were well within their rights to lobby Congress. Corporations can, why can't, why can't people like us, you know? Um, He spent the night there with the men. Uh, He had breakfast with them. He told them they were good soldiers and he was proud of them. Um, And a week or so later, he leaves. And a week or so later, America's most overrated general, Douglas MacArthur, disperses the crowd with a mix of men on horseback and poison gas. Um, And this radicalizes Butler. Um, initially he just becomes very anti Herbert Hoover and, and, you know, advocates for Hoover to get his ass kicked in the election that year. And Hoover does lose reelection that year. It turned out to maybe be a bad idea.
5: (laughs) Can't turn on the people, bro. No, no. And he's a shit
4: president in general. Yeah. Um, so obviously FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt wins, wins the election that year. He becomes the president. He promises Americans a new deal which wealthy Mm -hmm. capitalists saw as a clear sign that Roosevelt was about to open the door to Soviet communism and take all of their money. God damn it, man. (laughs) Why why
6: are
5: y'all so scared all the time, man?
4: We're going to talk about that. There's an interesting story there. Um, So one of the men who gets scared by the New Deal is a guy named Robert Sterling Clark, and he's the heir to the Singer sewing machine fortune. Um, Everybody's seen a Singer sewing machine. That's the kind of money this guy has, you know? That's interesting, yeah. Yeah. And we're talking singer sewing machines in the 30s when everybody uses them all the time. Yeah, we too, actually right? yeah, every house had it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not a hobby. It's the only way you have pants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, another guy who got scared was a Wall Street financier named Grayson M.P. Murphy. And another was Prescott Bush, the father of President yeah. George H.W. Bush. And who was it? Yeah, yeah. He he really doesn't like the New Deal. Um, And Prescott Uh, Bush is an investment banker uh, on Wall Street at the time. Um, Okay. Yeah. So these three are the best known members of what came to be called the business plot. And we'll talk about them all a bit more. Uh, But before we get into their plan to overthrow the United States government and institute a fascist state, I should probably make it clear that a lot of rich Americans in the 1930s wanted to at least see FDR thrown out on his ass for suggesting that rich people be taxed to stop poor people from dying in the street. Again, not surprising to anyone living no, no, through no, no, 2021. It's not, <laughs> it's not I mean, yeah, it wasn't new then. Yeah, sir. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm gonna read a, I found a very good summary of of kind of this situation in a, the American culture at the time from a college thesis by Bradley Galka of the University of Albany that I really recommend reading. He does a great job of of putting this all together. Quote Mm -hmm. William Manchester in his book The Glory and the Dream describes the fear which upper class Americans had of a lower class revolt in the months before Roosevelt's inauguration among the propertied classes he writes the distinction between the poor wanting bread and a full-on communist revolutionary was often non-existent the rich would have to take their security into their own hands if the government could not keep order each man must look to his own Businessmen in a number of cities formed committees to cope with nameless terrors should railroad and telephone lines be cut and surrounding highways blocked. Candles and canned goods were stockpiled. A Hollywood director carried with him a wardrobe of old clothes so that he could disappear into the crowd on a moment's notice. In New York, hotels discovered that wealthy guests who usually leased suites for the winter were holing up in their country homes. Some had mounted machine guns on their roofs. Manchester goes on to say that the paranoid elites were not really so paranoid. The evidence strongly suggests, he writes, that had Roosevelt, in fact, been another Hoover, the United States would have followed seven Latin American countries whose governments had been overthrown by depression victims. So there is revolution in the air and it scares oh the God. fuck out of these people. They're bolting machine yeah. guns to their country houses, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so, the fears of this particular group of rich white dudes were further confirmed by the fact that left wing writers and intellectuals were louder than ever in their anticipation of a coming communist revolution. Things were from the outside at least looking pretty good in Soviet Russia compared to at least the reality that a lot of Americans knew in nineteen thirty two The socialist presidential candidate uh we used to have socialist presidential candidates uh, tri- <laughs> <laughs> uh tripled his share of the vote from the nineteen twenty eight election um And uh, yeah, so socialism is actually doing, starting to do pretty well in American politics. Socialism was mainstream in a way that seems impossible now. One example of how mainstream it was, Governor Floyd Olson of Minnesota announced that he would not take any recruit for the National Guard who, quote, doesn't carry a red card because he said, Minnesota is a left-wing state. Like, I'm only putting communists in the army. (laughs) I'm the governor of Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) what world is this okay yeah Yeah. so yeah obviously if you've got a left-wing governor of an entire state saying minnesota is socialist and we're raising an army a lot of capitalists are going to get freaked out whoa Um, whoa 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 whoa. yeah Yeah. (laughs) the right-wing governor of kansas alf landon declared that quote the iron hand of a national dictator is in preference to a paralytic stroke So, the right is saying we need a dictator, and the left is saying we need an army. Um, (laughs) You might recognize this as kind of identical in rhetoric to both what you were hearing in Portugal and Spain before those countries had coups, right? Portugal was saying we need like an iron chancellor. Yeah, Yeah, he's saying we need the iron hand of a dictator, you know? Yeah. Same rhetoric. Uh, Republicans were surprisingly, or perhaps not so surprisingly, willing to endorse outright fascism over socialism. Senator David Reed of Pennsylvania, a Republican, stated, if this country ever needed a Mussolini, it needs one now.
5: Wait, wait, wait. You let that come out your mouth? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he let that come out his mouth. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you are not, you are not thinking, you're not thinking long game, big mm-hmm. homie. Okay. Wow.
4: No, long game, things turn out kind of upside down for Mussolini. But that's a story for another day so in saying this senator reed was tapping into what was at that point more or less an american meme a surprising love of mussolini benito mussolini was huge in america in this period this is like the 20s and 30s he people i did love not his ass. know
5: that yeah so it's, i did not know because i spent so you know obviously during this time i'm i'm in harlem yeah, like my whole history is what's happening with black people right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I never even thought about my lord, like there was Mussolini stand. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, that's what's happening with white people at the time. That's <laughs> they're being, like, getting real into Mussolini jazz. You know what I'm saying? You over here inventing jazz, you yeah. talking about Mussolini kind of fly. Like, dang, man, <laughs> look at
4: that guy, look at the way he wears boots. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah.
4: So historian uh, John P. Diggins argues that a large number of American journalists in the 20s and 30s supported Italy's fascist regime from the march on Rome out to, up to the outbreak of Italy's invasion of Ethiopia in 1935. That's kind of what like stops yeah. the Mussolini uh, 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 okay. honeymoon period when he gases a bunch Made of it, people you. to death. Yeah. Um But up until that point, he's really big. Uh, Diggins writes that a large number of American journalists, quote, succumbed to fascist propaganda, and a few actually prostituted themselves in the pay of the Italian government. So Mussolini spends a lot of money um, trying to push articles and think pieces that would give fascism a positive reputation in the United States. He's bribing reporters and editors Uh um, to write articles that make fascism seem good. Now, historian Gian Mignone uh, notes that Mussolini spent particular effort influencing, quote, the financiers who needed to be able to count on favorable future conditions for their European investments. Mussolini's favorite target and his best friends in the United States We're J.P. Morgan and his family. Oh, my
5: God. There they are. There you go dropping these names. Yeah. These out of nowhere names. We're like, wait, that guy? Like, the story just turned so weird. It's J.P.
4: Morgan. so weird that J.P. Morgan loved fascism.
5: (laughs) Turns
7: out wild. This is when I wish I had one of those buttons so I could do the... Yeah.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Now, another big Mussolini fan and his primary propaganda distributor was the press syndicate run by William Randolph Hearst. Um, Also big fan of fascism, yeah. Willie Hearst. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about Hearst in a bit, but I want to note that there were also some very good reporters at the time who saw what was happening, what Mussolini was doing, and who spoke out against it lucidly and properly. The Chicago Tribune's George Selds was probably one of the best journalists for this. He wrote, quote, Far away, fascism has been attacked, exposed, and denounced by the same publications, which for years ran articles lauding Mussolini and his notable backers in all lands. And the Hearst newspapers, which published from 1934 to Pearl Harbor, dozens of signed propaganda articles by Dr. Goebbels, Goering, and other Nazis now call them names. But no publication which takes money from certain big business elements will dare name the native or nearby fascists. In many instances, the publications themselves are part of our own fascism. And that So hmm. Selds is kind of recognizing and, and it was one of the few guys to be Like really try to drum home Drive home openly And this, he wrote this obviously after World War II started That like, oh yeah, as soon as we're at war Y'all are against Mussolini and Hitler But you let them publish fucking articles Before, you, b- yeah. before this shit happened Yeah, like, yeah come on and, bro And you ignore
1: Live Nation presents Concert Week
4: Selds argued that fascism, American fascism, was not just limited to lunatic fringes of society, but was influential in major economic, social, and political circles. He asserted that there were communists in the United States who, quote, organized big business in a movement against labor, signed a pact with Nazi agents for political and economic penetration of the U.S., founded a million dollar a year propaganda outfit to corrupt the press, radio, schools and churches and delayed the winning of the war through the acts of dollar a year men looking out for present profits and future monopoly rather than for the quick defeat of fascism. And there's a lot of these guys. And it, like so in ter- when, when you're looking at American corporations who directly with their money supported fascism and funded fascist propaganda, you're talking General Motors. You're talking the DuPont Corporation. Man. And you're talking
5: Reader's Digest, <laughs> who were Jesus. way into fascism. God dog, yeah. man. It's like, yeah, there's no ending, bro. Mm. <sighs> there's just no... Wow. We don't talk about the time Reader's Digest
4: was whole hog for Mussolini.
5: Yeah. Like, again, yeah. that's number three. Mm-hmm. The name you never thought you'd get. When the last time you said the well, you, because you did. When the last time any of y'all said the word Reader's Digest? <laughs> I've been
4: published in them and I don't think about them. <laughs> yes.
7: Robert. What? That's funny.
4: Yeah. But you yeah. know who won't fund a fascist propaganda campaign? To convince financiers that Benito Mussolini has the right idea. Oh,
7: pick me, pick me, pick me. I know the answer, I know the answer, I know the answer. Uh, who,
4: who, who is it? Who won't do that, Sophie?
7: The fine products and services that sponsor this podcast.
4: Nailed it. Yay. Nailed it.
0: Hi, I'm Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and we're the hosts of the science podcast, Stuff to Blow Your Mind, where every week we get to explore some of the weirdest questions in the universe. Like if sci-fi teleportation was possible, how would it square with the multitudes of organisms that inhabit our human bodies? Can we find evidence of emotions in animals like bees, ants, and crayfish? How would an interplanetary civilization function? Does free will exist? Stuff to Blow Your Mind examines neurological quandaries cosmic mysteries evolutionary marvels and the wonders of techno history basically this show is the altar where we worship the weirdness of reality if anybody ever told you you ask the weirdest questions it is time to come join us in the place where you belong the stuff to blow your mind podcast new episodes publish every tuesday and thursday with bonus episodes on saturdays listen to stuff to blow your mind on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
8: Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris, to recap our hit television series, New Girl.
3: Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast, where we'll share behind the scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American, and discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars, and directors who made the show so special. Fans have been begging
2: us to do a New Girl recap for years, and we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like Is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl?
8: Plus, each week you'll hear hilarious stories like this.
3: At the end when he says you got some Schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke.
8: I believe that. I feel like I did.
3: I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was I I, I tossed that one out.
8: Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: We're back, and God Almighty, I know that J.P. Morgan, the bank, does throw in random ads sometimes, and I, I kind (laughs) of hope one came in in between as we're talking about incredible. Uh, It's very funny. Um, very funny. So. Uh, this is all, all of this stuff that we're talking about is what's cooking off in the background when a fuckload of rich guys, and we don't know all of the folks involved or who they were. We'll talk about why near the end of this, but um, uh, obviously some of them are J.P. Morgan, like <laughs> yeah. Um, William Randolph Hearst is, is a par- almost certainly a part of it. There's a good chance Henry Ford was, but we don't know exactly who was involved. We know some of the people, though, including George H.W. Bush's dad. So at any rate, this cabal of financiers and rich guys pick a couple of patsies to do the grunt work because they decide, OK, you know, the very w- wealthiest men are like, OK, we need to find a way to take power and we need to do it stealthily because Americans won't stand for an open fascist coup. Um, so we're going to need they they pick a couple of guys to kind of do the grunt work of actually organizing this fascist coup. And the dudes okay. they pick are, uh, are Gerald C. McGuire and Bob Doyle. Um, and they're these guys are bond salesmen, right? They're stock traders, essentially. All right. Um, and they're both veterans. Imaginary money again. Yeah, they're imaginary money guys. Uh, and yeah. they're both members of the American Legion, which had been established uh, to support veterans rights and activities. And they're both vets, you know, um, yeah. which is not a, you know, a lot of people are vets. World War One's just ended. So these guys, like th- these rich dudes, some of whom were had also been veterans, um, had watched what had happened with the Bonus Army in D.C. They'd seen tens of thousands of veterans march on Washington. Um, and obviously they hadn't supported those guys getting any money because it would have meant taxing rich people. But they thought there was potential in having tens of thousands of combat hardened men march on the Capitol. And they basically started saying to themselves, what if we could harness that kind of force and put it under the control of a guy that we control and they trust? Maybe we could overthrow the government. <laughs> Whoa! And Americans wouldn't be because they'd say, "Oh, these are our vets. You know, they're they're coming yeah. in to fix things. You know."
5: Yeah. Well, they're, they're you know we support our troops. Yeah,
4: exactly. It's a good yeah.
5: idea. You know. Yeah. To
4: overthrow. So obviously. They're looking at who can we who can we put in control of tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of veterans who will be easy for us to control, but also who everyone respects and loves, and who no one's going to accuse of any ulterior motives. Oh my God, who is it? Well, it's the perfect soldier of empire, the greatest imperial warrior who ever existed, retired General Smedley Butler. Oh, uh-huh they're like this is the guy who can do it and he and yeah they look look at all of these all of these wars that we profited from that we got america into to make money he fought in and ran things like he we he's already done this for us he's perfect you know damn yeah so i'm gonna quote a write-up by arcadia publishing for what happens next yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, so yeah like he's he's the obviously he's who you go with During their first meeting with Butler, McGuire and Doyle asked the Major General to speak at a Legion convention in Chicago, Claiming they wanted to point out the various problems with the Legion's leadership. But there was at first open to this idea, knowing that the Legion had several administrative issues that ultimately compromised veteran benefits. So they're like, hey, the Legion's having a voting convention to like vote on its its leaders. You know, we are also vets, and like we, you know, obviously you're you're the guy we respect the most. Would you give a speech about some of the problems our organization is having? And he's like, sure, you know, seems like re- a reasonable thing to do. Uh, yeah. he's always gonna try to help out soldiers when he can. Um, but then he, as he kind of looks through the speech that they've written, he realizes that it says almost nothing about the American Legion leadership and is instead entirely about the gold standard and about how the, go- the government needs to go back to the gold standard.
5: Oh, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I had to clap for that. Cause I'm like, that is a juke. That is a really good juke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that. that's a zag. And yeah, Smedley, yeah, yeah. Smedley's
4: like, wait a second <laughs> what i thought you wanted me to help get the american legion working better why the fuck do i care about the gold standard <laughs> the hell i care about that yeah <laughs> yeah um so they were like basically the, the what was that the actual case here is that all of these bankers were scared that they had gold back loans from the government that weren't going to be paid back in full by the president um and, you know, they they also kind of wanted to get Butler used to working for them as their agent and see if they mm. could, like, use him further. It's a couple of things going on here. Yo, that now, is textbook mm-hmm. rich guy, man. Very textbook rich guy. Like, just right on the nose. And what they don't yeah. realize about Butler is that he's not the perfect imperial soldier anymore. By this point, he's he's become a socialist. Um and he doesn't bite. Uh, he actually yeah. thought McGuire might be mentally ill uh, because what the guy was suggesting seems so strange to him. And Butler's impression of McGuire didn't change over the next few months because the stockbroker keeps approaching the old general with new requests to address the American Legion for really incoherent reads. What seems to Butler incoherent reasons. Um okay. And so in August of 1933, Butler and Maguire meet again. And by this point, Butler had started to realize that Maguire was working for someone. He starts to piece together. There's a through line for all these weird things he's asking me to do. There's got to be someone pulling the strings behind this. Um, Now, because Maguire was the kind of guy who only valued money, he saw Butler's reticence and decided that like, oh, he's not suspicious because I'm asking him to do weird things. He wants to know that I have backing. So he basically flashes a huge pile of cash in Butler's face. Oh, so why?
5: So rich guy only thinks, yeah, that everybody thinks like rich guys.
4: Yeah, got but, it. Butler's like, it's real weird that you keep asking me to make all of these bizarre political addresses to the American Legion. And McGuire's like, hey, I got a hundred grand. <laughs> like, Great yeah it's awesome yeah
5: but what are you talking about though
4: yeah. yeah yeah and this actually makes butler more suspicious because in his mind no honest man has access to a hundred thousand dollars
5: <laughs> keep it real but like i'm not supposed to like you bro but like
4: mm-hmm. dang there's a great answer it's like what what well he's changed at this point butler's well, he, has, he, okay. he goes through a very satisfying evolution Okay. So Maguire admits that he has a backer. He, he says like, yeah, I, I work as a, a bond salesman for Grayson Murphy, who's a wealthy Wall Street financier who'd also been a colonel during World War One, but not like a real like he his job had been coordinating with the Red Cross. He got a rich guy job in the army for the war, okay. you know, um, yeah. So Maguire had paid $125,000 to underwrite the start of the American Legion because it starts after World War One, And he thought of it as, as, as an investment, right? Like Murphy's putting the American Legion together because he, as a really rich guy, is like, it's probably a good idea to have an organization of combat veterans who I can kind of direct, right? Yeah. That, yeah. Th- there's a plot going on here.
5: Of course. So Yeah. M-
4: Butler and McGuire start talking about McGuire's backers, and McGuire admits to Butler that his boss, uh, Grayson, is one of nine rich men who were trying to pay for a national convention of the American Legion in D.C. Now, by this point, Smedley Butler knew something very crooked was going on. Uh, and Bradley yeah. Galka writes, quote, Butler did not commit to anything, but rather waited and listened to what McGuire had to say. The two met at the beginning of September. When asked if he had begun recruiting men to go to the National Convention, Butler said no. He told McGuire that he would not even consider cooperating unless he was allowed to meet with one of the principal backers of the plot. McGuire promised to set up a meeting as soon as was possible. True to his word, McGuire arranged for Butler to meet with one of the principals the following week. The man was actually an acquaintance of the general. His name was Robert Sterling Clark, Known to Butler as the Millionaire Lieutenant, this is the singer guy. Clark had okay. been a junior officer under Butler's command in China during the Boxer Rebellion. According to Butler, Clark had been a batty, sort of queer fellow who did all sorts of extravagant things.
5: So, Called him a batty? Batty. Or like like as in like how we say that girl's a baddie or like as in batty yeah (laughs) b-a-t-t-y
4: like this kid this he's this you know there he goes to war (laughs) with this guy and everyone knows this kid is a millionaire and he's weird right like he's a rich kid you know I enjoyed that 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 clarification. Yeah, Yeah. I was
5: like, wait, what do you mean by a baddie? No, no, no. And I
7: was
5: like, wait, you calling him a baddie and then saying, well, he does queer stuff. I'm like, you just called him a baddie. (laughs) Like, yeah, bro, like just, okay, now I get Uh, it. Yeah. You know, so the man. Yeah. Let's clarify that. (laughs) So So, 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 so wait, so make sure I'm following along. So at this point. Smedley's antennas are all like his spidey yeah. senses england in, 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 all over the place. Like, some not right. Yeah, something you know what is. I'm saying? What fuck? Yeah, and then he's like, and I don't trust you, rich kids. Like y'all ain't never seen no combat. You ain't yeah. got no blood on your hands, man. You are. You stayed on the porch the whole time. You wasn't running with the wild dogs. So, mm-hmm. so help me understand. And then he goes and he meets one of these rich dudes. He's like, Hey, I remember this kid. Yeah. Oh, you okay. this fucking kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
4: okay. and he's also he's also this is kind of the guy Smedley. He's a very intelligent man he thinks yeah. something is fishy and he's like i want to go up the food chain i want to follow the money up. Yeah. i don't want to talk to you i'm going to talk to the guy giving you money you know yeah um so the general meets with uh clark this millionaire uh heir. uh and clark's first question was whether or not butler had read the speech that that clark had helped write for him and butler was like says yes, but it looks as if it were a big business speech. There's something funny about that speech, Mr. Clark. Now, once it was clear uh, that Butler knew he was being used for some purpose, even though he wasn't sure what that purpose was, Clark drops the act. So Butler says that and Clark's like, okay, you know, something's going on. So I'm just going to tell you the truth. And he tells Butler this quote, you understand just how we are fixed. I have got $30 million. I do not want to lose it. I am willing to spend half of the 30 million to save the other half. If you go out and make this speech in Chicago, I am certain that they will adopt the resolution and that will be one step towards the return of gold to have the soldiers stand up for it. We can get the soldiers to go out in great bodies to stand up for it. And obviously gold isn't the end goal here, but that's how they want to no. like start things. So that's their starting it. Okay. Yeah. And, and this guy admits like, look, I, I am trying to use you to keep my money and I'm willing to spend half of my money to keep the other half, you know? That's what's important to me is
5: continuing to be a rich man. Yeah. Now in his wow, later, that's uh, mm-hmm. there's there's some sort of yeah. like a, a kind of a dark and twisted but kind of good financial advice in that. Mm-hmm. Like I'll spend half of this if it's gonna make my other half double. Yeah, yeah. Or, and it's like,
4: and he he's also saying like I'm a, I'm afraid that the decisions being made by this government will reduce my class i'll lose it right? all yeah yeah, yeah you know, exactly you know
5: what that's what i'm saying like this like dark like okay mm-hmm. this is this is why they wealthy it's mm-hmm. like well i'm not just sitting on this stuff yeah and i'm not willing to burn it all but i'll spend on what's gonna protect the other half yeah. and increase the other half yeah you know what i'm saying it's yeah. how rich guys think you know it's how rich guys think That's and my point yeah
4: this enrages butler when the, when he said like butler is kind of barely yeah. able to keep himself from just like Flipping out at this guy because Butler, he had been obviously an imperial soldier, but his entire career, his focus, the thing that kept him going was the well-being of the soldiers under his command, right? He had risked his life repeatedly and been wounded to protect the men under his command. And this rich guy is saying, I want to use your fellow soldiers for my oh, own yeah. to keep my money. And Butler's like, fuck that and
5: fuck yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, you know, at this point, yeah, yeah we done.
4: Yeah. 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 Now, at this point, Smedley didn't quite realize that his entire career up to that point had been doing the same thing in other countries. Right. Had been da- like risking the lives of his men to protect the money of rich people. And oh. grow their- he doesn't quite get that yet. Oh. Yeah, but he sees that what he under, he understands what this guy is trying to do now. Right. Yeah. Um, so he gets angry and he tells the millionaire how he feels. I took an oath to sustain democracy. That is what I'm going to do and nothing else. I am not going to get these soldiers marching around and stirred up over the gold standard. What the hell does a soldier know about the gold standard? Um, damn. So McGuire- it's different
5: when it's direct, man. Yeah. Like when you see it, like rather than like at a systemic or like a, you know, a, a, indirect way like you said like ultimately you know you're at least in our most recent wars you just went to protect somebody's money Mm -hmm. and to hold up a crooked regime you know what i'm saying but if somebody couldn't but if like if your general stood up to you and just said hey homie uh this place got oil so we need to kill these people to get it Mm -hmm. like you would be like not finna do that you uh, know what well, i'm saying i'm not gonna do that yeah i'm gonna do what are you talking about you know what i'm saying but like when it's in your face the way it was with him he's like no listen here's the thing i'm rich mm-hmm. and i might lose it so i need you to go get my money yeah <laughs> and thi- yeah.
4: this is this is a bit of a spoiler this ha- it being this direct for him is what helps him realize what the rest of his career had been Right, Dang. Like yeah. this really is crisis. We're yep. not quite there yet. So oh, okay. Maguire, like Butler's like, I am not going to to do this thing for you. I'm not going to go fucking put my neck on the line for the gold standard. Uh, and Maguire's yeah. like, all right, all right. And he's like, can I use your phone? And while Butler <laughs> listens, Maguire gets on the phone uh, in Butler's oh, house. Or not Maguire, uh, 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 Sterling gets on the phone in Butler's house and he calls Maguire, the guy who had was his gopher. Um, And tells him that Butler's not coming to the American Legion convention. And Sterling tells McGuire to use $45,000 that he'd given him to flood the convention hall with telegrams, urging a return to the gold standard. And that's exactly what happens at the convention. The telegrams flow in and the resolution is passed condemning like the move away from the gold standard. And, you know, Sterling kind of does this to show off to Butler like, okay, well, if you're not going to do this, let me show you what I can accomplish. I can just pay 45 grand to get fucking uh flyers put up and like we'll flood them with propaganda and make it happen and butler takes this as the lesson that it is right that these are powerful Mm -hmm. men and this is like they do have the ability to to make this shit happen um so for a little while that's kind of all it is it's this weird thing over the gold standard and butler it, it 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 feels off to him but he doesn't think much more about it until the next year uh, august of 1934 when Gerald Maguire comes up to his house again and he and Butler meet and Maguire tells the general quote the time has come to get the soldiers together and Maguire who's a veteran himself is referencing the bonus army he's basically coming up and being like hey you know the things are still hard for veterans why don't you and I work out something where we can like get uh, another group of soldiers together and maybe march them on washington um and butler's like willing to have this conversation right yeah he's not willing to do the gold standard thing but like oh yeah, you're, but talking you're talking about talking getting it, people together because veterans need some money absolutely that's my whole thing of My language now. Of yeah yeah okay. but then the conversation turns mcguire tells butler that he'd just gotten back from an overseas trip and it was on it wasn't a vacation but his wealthy backers were paying him to go scouting and this is what mcguire says quote I went abroad to study the part that the veteran plays and the various setups of the governments that they have abroad. I went to Italy for two or three months and studied the position that the veterans of Italy occupy in the fascist setup of government. And I discovered that they are the background of Mussolini. They keep them on the payrolls in various ways and keep them contented and happy. And they are his real backbone, the force on which he may depend in case of trouble to sustain him. But that setup would not suit us at all. The soldiers uh-huh. of America would not like that. I then went to Germany to see what Hitler was doing, and his whole strength lies in organizations of soldiers too. But that would not do. I looked into the Russian business. I found the use of soldiers over there would never appeal to our men. Then I went to France, and I found just exactly the sort of organization we are going to have. It is an organization of super soldiers. And what he's talking about, you remember the the cross of fire uh, that we talked about last episode in france that french veterans organization you got 500 officers a thousand officers and ncos and they control the votes of five million men and they're very very far right right and they have a a a role in the insurrection that happens over in france which has just happened at this point so these rich guys watch what happens in france and almost succeeds and are like oh you know that's that's not a bad idea why don't we set up a veterans organization like that okay Um, yeah. So that's what McGuire's like. We need to build the same thing that they have in France, because if we can get five million votes or so, like a coalition of five million votes, we can win any election we want. We can get rid of, you know, Roosevelt or we can march them on the Capitol, you know, if yeah. we have half a million soldiers. So Butler said, all right, like I'm not I'm not against this idea. If you want to organize a bunch of veterans to 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 make political changes, act as a voting block, that makes sense to me. Because uh, I care about veterans issues. Um, but what do you want to use them for? Right. Why are why are we building this? Like, Because he's still suspicious of this guy over the gold. Yeah, standard I still don't thing. know what you're doing. Yeah. And McGuire assures him like, no, they're going to support the president. That's what we want them to do is to kind of support the president and his efforts to to fix the economy. And Butler points out when McGuire says this, Butler points out that like, well, in all these speeches you wanted me to give earlier, you would have me you wanted me to oppose all of FDR's policies. So why are you trying to make a veterans organization to support FDR now? And McGuire responds, don't you understand that the setup has got to be changed a bit? Now we have got him. We have got the president. He has got to have more money. There's not any more money to give him. 80% of the money now is in government bonds and he cannot keep this racket up much longer. He has got to do something about it. He has either got to get more money out of us or he has got to change the method of financing the government. And we are going to see to it that he does not change that method. He will not change it. They're worried about him like going into debt and devaluing the dollar and stuff. Yeah. Um, so Butler sees where he, this is going and he asks McGuire straight up, The idea of this great group of soldiers, then, is to sort of frighten him, is it? McGuire, lying, said that, no, they don't want to scare FDR. They just want to support him. And then he introduces a new idea. He tells Butler, you know, the president's overworked, and he's, he's an old man. He's not healthy. Wouldn't it be nice if we could give FDR an assistant president. We can use this big armed group of veterans to convince the president to create a new cabinet position, Secretary of General Affairs. And this person will do all of the actual work of the president and he'll institute policies that my rich backers know are going to fix things for the American people. Whoa! FDR will still be president, but he'll just be ceremonial and we'll be controlling things. And this big armed group of veterans will make sure that everybody plays nice.
5: Damn. Wow.
4: <laughs> that right up under our noses bro mm-hmm. so mcguire tells butler that this is all necessary because the president is sick and even if it's mm. not true that he's unable to do the job anymore the american <sighs> people will believe them if they say he's sick because quote we have got the newspapers he's talking about the fact that william randolph hearst is one of the guys involved in this plot like Yeah, whatever, whatever we need the American people to believe, they'll believe because we control the newspapers. So all we need to do is organize this body of men. Okay. so in suggesting this, Maguire's rich backers were looking to treat FDR kind of the same way Mussolini treated the king of Italy or Hitler treated Hindenburg in his last months. Of course, Maguire didn't point this out to Butler, but he asked, would you be interesting in heading up this super organization of veterans that we're going to use to take power? So he's, he's all on the table now. Like we're going yeah. to take over the government. We're going to do it in a way that's not obvious. We're going to use the newspapers to make sure people don't know that we've just stopped FDR from having any power. And we're uh-huh. if things are going to be run by the rich. Um, and but so he's like, do you want to be the guy who who leads this army of veterans into the capital to demand these things? And Butler responds, I'm interested in it. I'm interested in this veterans organization, but I don't know about heading it. I am very greatly interested in it because, you know, my interest, my one hobby is maintaining a democracy. If you get these 500,000 soldiers advocating anything smelling of fascism, I'm going to get 500,000 more and lick the hell out of you and we'll have a real war right at home.
5: (laughs) He's a direct man. Yeah. I love it. He's yeah. like, look, man, you know how many wars I fought. You think I'm scared of you? you think, yeah, it's like, yeah,
4: yeah. Like, and this, like, if you do this, and I think you're trying to create a fascist state, I'll raise an army and I'll win. Like, you don't yes, know shit I'm about an this.
5: actual war vet.
4: Like, yeah. I actually know the veterans. <laughs> yeah yeah so this makes mcguire backpedal a little bit he's realized he's maybe like gone he was maybe a little bit too open about what they were planning to do and he insists like no we're not trying to overthrow we just want to support the president we're not trying to take power we want to support him and butler says well if that's the case you're going to need a lot of money right this is not going to be a cheap thing to do and mcguire's like well we've got three million dollars on hand you know yeah money ain't a problem bro money ain't a problem we get access to 300 million dollars if necessary yeah And so Butler again is like, who in the fuck is putting up this money? Honest men don't have $3 million to throw around. And so he's like, where are you getting all of this money? And I know it's not just Clark um, or Sterling, the guy that I had met earlier. And McGuire says, you know how Clark told you he would spend half of his uh, fortune to save the other half. Well, there's a lot of other rich guys who feel the same way, right? Prescott Bush and JP Morgan and all these, all these other rich dudes feel the same way. So, Smedley Butler meant what he said. He was absolutely committed to American democracy and he never actually considered helping, but he knew the danger of what he was hearing and he wanted to be able to expose it. And to do that, he was going to need a corroborating witness. So his goal now to becomes, I need someone else credible to be witness to the whole plan
5: so that we can go testify to Congress. Just in case. Dude, yeah. dude Smith, dog, this dude's antennas are mm-hmm. like, they are Attuned because yeah. to be like you can't just be like F you and storm the room yeah. because these people don't need you, they'll find somebody else. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And it's like the understanding that like just that power play, when you in a room with people yeah. that wealthy, they always feel like they in charge, mm-hmm. but that but that power is given to them. yeah if you don't if you don't give a shit about their money, you know what I'm saying, then then the power don't matter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Then you realize really what's happening here. It's like, oh wait, y'all got all this money and you still need this meeting with me. Mm -hmm. So there's some, you know what I'm saying? So like, and he had his antennas enough to be like, I need to make sure because it's not like these people can't put me away. Yeah. I need somebody over here to watch all this happening because they wielding all this power. And I am, you know what I'm saying? Like right now.
1: Live Nation presents Concert Week.
6: Head over to columbia.com slash PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear.
8: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
5: Now I'm in their good graces. Yeah. Right now they're still hungry for me. So let me make sure I'm playing this. His antennas are hard. I yeah. love it. Yeah. No, he's, yeah. he's
4: he's thinking. He's thinking.
5: And I'm going yeah, quote from
4: a, that write-up by Arcadia Publishing again for what happens next. Having previously worked as the police captain of Philadelphia, Butler reached out to a Philadelphia record writer, Paul Comley French, who agreed to meet with McGuire as well. During this meeting, McGuire told French that he believed a fascist state was the only answer for America and that Smedley was the ideal leader because he could organize a million men overnight. So French, the very skilled journalist, comes in and kind of on the guise of like, yeah, you want the press on your side. Let's talk about what you're trying to do. And he's like... French is clearly a good interview and gets Moguar to admit like, yeah, I want to we want to make a fascist state. It's the only way yeah. forward for America. And Butler's the best guy to do it. So French takes detailed notes uh, after all of these meetings. He would later tell Congress, quote, During the course of the conversation, he continually discussed the need of a man on a white horse, as he called it. A dictator who would come galloping in on his white horse. Damn. He said that was the only way, either through the threat of armed force or the delegation of power and the use of a group of organized veterans to save the capitalistic system.
7: Speaking of capitalistic systems.
4: Speaking of capitalism. You know who won't incite a fascist revolution? I mean,
7: hopefully.
4: Hopefully, fingers Hopefully. crossed.
7: I have something to tell you at this ad break that just broke in the news, but I guess I'll tell you now. Jeff I Jeff Bezos just, right just stepped down as CEO of Amazon.
4: What the fuck is happening?
7: He's transitioning to an executive chair role.
4: Something's you- about to go down. Yes,
5: I have some theories. Right. That's big. Take this break. Take this break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're off. <laughs> What are your theories? Something's fucking happening. Yeah. So here's my theories. I think there was two things going on here. I think uh, one is he's like, I would like the money without the headache. So let me just let somebody else have a headache. I'm just going to take the money. It says, all says,
7: this is from obviously the Washington Post because he owns it. Yeah. Uh, Bezos will step down from the role after founding the company more than 20 years ago, ushering a new era for the e-commerce merchant giant currently current amazon web services chief andy jassy will take on the mantle of ceo i don't like Uh, i I don't like that word mantle first of all yeah
5: yeah but i think the money from the like from the from the web support platform services is now outpacing the products i agree so they like we need to move that way number one and number two i'm positive they're gonna break the company up they're gonna yeah. break the shit up because it's it, gonna be I a hope monopoly. So. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I better get out now. They're gonna break the shit up. I I really hope theory. so. Um it, yeah. it should be broken up. It, it should, should it's too much of a, yeah. of a business. You can't be the grocery store and the groceries. Yeah.
7: I yeah. think he just wants to go off into the moon and just spend the rest I was of his life like that. You want to be.
3: No. I, want, I want
5: all the money without yeah. the headache.
4: No mm-hmm. reasonable person would be worth a hundred billion plus dollars and want to keep doing a job. Why like, do you keep working? Yeah. Go fill an island with, I don't know, No more, No or more something. rich white like, guys with the
7: islands. I, be, be I veto creep. that. It's no what they I always
5: is. do. Yes, but but no. at the same, yeah, it's like you don't yeah. make a hundred million dollars yeah. to keep working. It's no. like, you'll, he'll never spend this. You yeah. will never spend this money. It's like the only so billionaire who's
4: ever made sense to me is one of the Google founders who like spent hundreds of millions of dollars making a house blimp. And it was like, yeah, that's rad. Like, yeah, you live, live on a fucking exactly. blimp. You know what yeah. I'm gonna
5: do? I'm gonna live on a blimp. <laughs> like, I can never, you can't even give it away. There's yeah. not enough, there's not enough hours in the day. You don't, you're you not gonna live enough years to mm-hmm. spend this.
4: Yeah, you couldn't. Yeah. Uh All right.
2: conquer your new year's resolution to be more productive with the before breakfast podcast in each bite-sized daily episode time management and productivity expert laura vanderkam teaches you how to make the most of your time both at work and at home these are the practical suggestions you need to get more done with your day just as lifting weights keeps our bodies strong as we age learning new skills is the mental equivalent of pumping iron listen to before breakfast wherever you get your podcasts
4: We're back. Oh, what a great, what a great time. So uh, we're talking about, yeah, this guy, Butler brings in this journalist, French, who gets who gets these guys to throw down some dirt, right? And admit what they're actually looking to do. Yeah. Um, Now, in his write up on the business plot, Bradley Galka notes, quote, mcguire also discussed this group's intended solution to the national employment crisis he said they were inspired by adolf hitler's policies in europe that the solution would be the institution of labor camps and Sheesh. barracks in america to mobilize the unemployed
5: you, you, you said you said it out loud you said yeah. you, you're not supposed to say that out loud bro <laughs> this hit okay. the guy has some good ideas <laughs> i'm just saying like we could save you hear me hear me out yeah. We could save Mm -hmm. capitalism. We could
4: save cap. What if we put the poor in camps and make them work for us? (laughs) (laughs) They're not doing anything right. They're They're not not. doing anything right. Shouldn't be voting. They're just got to vote to take our money. (laughs) Put them in camps. (laughs) Uh, Such an initiative, McGuire insisted, would solve the problem overnight. He also revealed that the plotters would force all suspected radicals across the country to register their movements with the government. That way, oh said McGuire, the new regime could stop a lot of these communist agitators who were running around the country. McGuire ended by insisting that another economic crash was inevitable and would come when bonds reached 5% interest. When that time comes, he said, the soldiers must prepare to save the nation. Now, it's worth reiterating two important takeaways from McGuire's interactions with Butler and French. First, during McGuire's meeting with Butler at the Bellevue Hotel in Philadelphia, McGuire claimed that he and the plotters have got the newspapers. He told Butler that whatever cover story his boss has decided to put in the papers would be accepted by the dumb American people who would fall for it in a second.
5: Damn it. Not wrong. Yeah,
4: not wrong. Not wrong. Damn and Bradley it. Galka's write-up of this is very good. it's And it's free. Yeah. So I, I really recommend it for folks. Now, at this point, Butler decided he had enough information to go to Congress. On November 20th, 1934, he appeared before the Special Committee on Un-American Activities. Before the committee and its lawyers, General Butler laid out the details of the whole sordid scheme, providing Congress with French's corroboration and the detailed notes that he himself had taken of every conversation. He swore under oath that this was all true and that a cabal of bankers and industrial magnates were plotting to overthrow American democracy. So he goes to Congress and he... Uh. He puts it all out on the line and the story hits the news media soon after the New York Post, which at this time is a liberal newspaper, publishes the first report, which is written by French himself. It outlines the details of the plot accurately. The Post also publishes a second shorter piece, which provides the accused plotters with an opportunity to give their denials. Now, the Post coverage here was both responsible and vital, but McGuire had not been lying when he said that his secret backers controlled much of America's print media. A second wave of coverage bursts from conservative, Hearst-owned newspapers. These papers tended to provide only the barest details of the actual plot and spend most of their time publishing denials by the accused magnates. One popular columnist, Arthur Brisbane, who worked for the Hearst-owned San Francisco Examiner, suggested that somebody may have been deceiving General Butler. He portrayed the business plot as more or less a practical joke, and wrote mockingly that those wicked and bad and outrageous Wall Street men were the ones who actually had the most to fear from a fascist dictatorship. Oh Adam, oh. huh? Yeah, <laughs> a flim flam boy. Yeah, flim flam. Yeah. Oh, look That's at this Ed- dumb general. He just, he just,
5: he he got took he in by a practical joke. You know. Listen, he doesn't understand. You know, dog. And and I, I man, I imagine even like how. You stand in front of Congress and like this, I, I I don't know, like if you have this this like sinking feeling when you're trying to say something that you know is true and you're positive, the people in front of you don't believe you. Mm. And you're like, ah, ah damn, this ain't going. I'm stuck, ain't I? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I wonder if I don't know why, as he was talking, that was like the moment I pictured when he's like he went to Congress to tell them that like he's snitching, but it's like a good type of snitch to where I'm yeah. like, no, I'm trying to tell you the truth. This is what these people are doing. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's like even coming out of his mouth, he was probably like, do I sound crazy? I might sound crazy, but I'm trying to tell you this is what they doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Adam Ox, a writer for The New York Times,
4: uh, wrote an article about the business plot. And again, it's not just Hearst Papers. The New York Times gets in on this shit. He writes an article titled Credulity Unlimited, which also mocked Butler and painted him as a crank. What can we believe? Apparently anything, to judge by the number of people who lend a credulous ear to the story of General Butler's 500 fascists in Buckram marching on Washington to seize the government. Details are lacking to lend verisimilitude to an otherwise bald and unconvincing narrative. The whole story sounds like a gigantic hoax.
5: Yeah. 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 Listen, this guy's crazy. Yeah. Talk to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, this Listen, silly old we're man just thinks that we're businessmen just, want we're to take just over the regular country. regular rich dudes. Yeah. We're just saying it's fine. And there <laughs> is one
4: of the things that really does corroborate that the story is true is there's is a massive and very organized media campaign to discredit Butler. And it's not yeah. just journalists. Will Rogers, the former cowboy actor who like half of LA is named after.
5: Yeah, I was like, "Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, 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 that
4: Will Rogers publishes an article in the new york times he gets to write a column for the times and this article both mocks uh smedley butler and in the article after making fun of butler for being an idiot will rogers volunteers to lead a fascist army in his stead if smedley oh butler God. don't take that job of marching down pennsylvania at the head of wall street's fighting brigade i would like to get my application in i got the gray horse it won't be such a novelty as people
5: think like oh, dang, <laughs> this will is clearly rogers. bullshit but if it's not i'd lead a fascist army on behalf of <laughs> wall street yeah, I'm, man, I'm- you man, that's the house. You remember Katy Perry tried to buy his house out here? Oh yeah. Oh, it's man. a nice house. It's a very nice house. Mm-hmm. Went on a field trip once. Yeah.
4: Anyway. Yeah. New York City Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia called the business plot a cocktail push, by which he means he thought Butler had heard the plans at a par as a joke at a party and run away with the idea. Um,
5: that's a great, You. the more I hear their defense, that's a great cover story. It's a great cover story. They, they were just joking. <laughs> Dude, we're just drinking. It's yeah. like, this guy got into this party. He don't really run with us. He don't know how, we don't know yeah. how he works. We're just yeah. playing around.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's story. not dumb, right? These aren't idiots. Yeah. Now the yeah. committee, uh, the congressional committee, the house, uh, an American activities committee continues their investigation though and they find additional evidence of the plot. Concerted Digging revealed that a number of the men implicated in the plot had recently formed a conservative lobbying group called the American Liberty League. Its members included J.P. Morgan Jr., Irene DuPont, the CEO of General Motors, the CEO of General Foods, and other industrial leaders controlling roughly $40 billion in assets, which in modern terms is three quarters of a trillion dollars. Oh, my Um, God. All wow. of the richest guys, and that yeah, like it, these are the dudes behind it. Now, this digging also turns up the fact that Prescott Bush, who was heavily involved in with the Nazi government, right? He's working with them on the Hamburg America Lines and stuff. Um, that Prescott Bush, under the proposed American fascist government, would have acted as a liaison between the American dictatorship and the Nazi government. So George W. Bush's grandpa volunteered for the job of liaising between a fascist American state and the Nazis was like oh i love the nazis i'd be perfect at this job what yeah prescott what? bush
5: so and then gave birth to presidents mm-hmm. two of them well his wife gave birth to presidents let me clear that up sorry ladies he didn't give birth to nobody yeah. okay he donated genetic material that <laughs> yes. led to two presidents both of whom were yes. trash
4: <laughs> <laughs> so the the committee, after its investigation, never releases an official report on the business plot, but they do give a report to Congress. And in it they say that they quote That's so recei-
7: trash.
4: Oh, it's about to yeah. get trasher. Okay. But, but yeah. before Great. it gets trash, the committee goes to Congress and they say everything we checked out that Butler said, we were able to verify. They say that they, quote, had received evidence that certain persons had made an attempt to establish a fascist organization in this country. There is no question that these attempts were discussed, were planned, and might have been placed in execution when and if the financial backers deemed it expedient. The names of the individuals involved, they said, would have to be kept secret until they could be investigated and their complicity verified. So they're like, we we, we looked this up and we found a lot of evidence that it was true, but we can't confirm anything yet. And we're not going to give the names of the individuals we found evidence about because we haven't finished the investigation. Right. Which sounds reasonable. That's how it's supposed to work. But they never finished the investigation.
5: (laughs) Oh, man. After saying, hey, yeah, this. Yeah. We've corroborated everything you said. Okay, cool. And we don't know why the investigation
4: doesn't get finished. There are some theories and I'm going to quote the Washington Post for one of them. According to journalist John Buchanan, speaking to the BBC in 2007, this was probably because Roosevelt struck a deal with the backers of the plot. They could avoid treason charges and possible execution if they backed off their opposition to the New Deal. Sally Denton, an author who wrote a book about the business plot, thinks the press may have ignored the report at the urging of the government, which didn't want the public to know how precarious things might have been. So, hmm. the, so the government that like was threatened by this may not have wanted it to be super public knowledge, right? Just like the, I yeah, don't think yeah, it's yeah. a good idea for people to know how quickly they came, how close they came to overthrowing us. Yeah, 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 yeah. You shouldn't notice. Yeah. And, and FDR probably sits down with these rich guys and is like, look, we can hang you and it'll be ugly for everybody. Like, there will be Dog, consequences. It'll suck for me. Like, Dog, listen. Or you shut yeah. the fuck up and let me do the new deal,
5: you know? I love it, man. The brand, listen, this is a bad, this is bad for everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody loses. Yeah. I'm going to cut your head off. Mm-hmm. But, Like, let's just, I love it. Good job, FDR. Yeah,
4: I mean, it was probably, like, I don't know. I'm not going to say it was the right thing. I think it would have been better to prosecute these guys, but. Totally. He's in a rough position. He does what seems like the best thing to do at the time. Now, based on her research, Sally Denton believes that had Smedley Butler gone along with the plot, it would have succeeded. And he might have been the only person capable of leading that fascist coup who also would have refused to do it. It is hard to overstate how lucky we are that he was the man they went to. Right. Wow. Like the one yeah. guy who had that kind of respect among veterans who had that kind of uh, talent and that kind of experience and also doesn't give a fuck about money. Right. Like, yes,
5: <laughs> with the perfect. Yes. Yeah, the perfect combo. Yeah. Damn. Now, Cause he could, if he even wanted it yeah. and, and cared about money, yeah. he could even extort these dudes.
4: Yeah. Yeah. He could. You know what they, I'm saying? they're promising like, we'll take care of your family. Your kids are never yeah, going to have to worry like, about you Damn right.
5: You're going to take care of my family. Yeah. you know what I'm saying? You take care of my neighbor's family. Mm-hmm. You finna take care of my children, they children. You finna take care of us until the 2020s. But he <laughs>
4: instead decides the thing that I swore an oath for was to defend democracy. Amazing. And that's what I'm going to fucking do. Um, and for his part, the business plot seems to have been the final straw in Butler's radicalization. He realizes after having been these rich guys trying to use him as a pawn that that's all he'd been doing his entire career as a soldier. He'd been a pawn of the rich. Uh, In 1936, he votes for the socialist presidential candidate. Um, in 1935, he publishes a short book based on a series of speeches. He He starts traveling around the country delivering speeches, a speech titled War is a Racket. And I'm going to read you a summary Butler wrote of his own book that kind of explains where this goes. War is a racket. It always has been. It is possibly the oldest, easily the most profitable, surely the most vicious. It is the only one international in scope. It is the only one in which the profits are reckoned in dollars and the losses in lives. A racket is best described, I believe, as something that is not what it seems to the majority of the people. Only a small inside group knows what it is about. It is conducted for the benefit of the very few, at the expense of the very many. Out of war, a few people make huge fortunes.
5: Damn. And he's there's a lot of good quotes from from this, and from Butler in general. That Hmm? is good. When he say, the losses are in lives, but the profits are in dollars. Yeah. Good God. Good God. That's a bar. And he is...
4: Because it's truly unsparing. Like another quote yeah. of his that I love: "Our boys were sent off to die with beautiful ideals painted in front of them. No one told them that dollars and cents were the real reason they were marching off to kill and die."
5: God, dog, dude. Yeah, I have a homeboy, a musician. He's a friend, but he's an incredible rapper. His name is Bamboo. Yeah, uh, from Filipino dude up, up, up. Well, he's from LA. He lives in the Bay his wife Rocky Rivera both amazing artists uh their whole label Beat Rock they're all these like left wing guerrilla warfare like super revolutionary dudes but he was he was an LA dude got in trouble with the law and then you know like any other brown kid you go to the military to try to like you know get out of jail and kind of the same scenario he came out of that so radicalized so ready to be like yeah this is all bull and i will never send another child you know what i'm saying he's not at all a pacifist don't get me wrong yeah. like the brother got a collection of like ancient island weapons let alone yeah. guns you know what i'm saying so he ain't no pacifist but he's like i'm not dying for someone else's yeah. pockets yeah it's like yeah. dog yeah this is crazy yeah.
4: Yeah. And and Butler, Butler is that Butler's not a fascist or not a a pacifist and he's He's not not anti-military. He loves the military. He hates what it's used for. And he when he's delivering these speeches, he's trying to get Americans on board with a complete reformation of the military. Um, He believes that it should only ever be defensive in nature. And in order to make it that he thinks the Navy should be limited to operating within 200 miles of the coastline and the army restricted from ever leaving the confines of the continental United States um yeah uh now that's interesting yeah uh, yeah that he's he's trying to like he's he, he thinks we need a military it just we have to find a way to stop bankers from being able to use it to to fight wars for profit that's the problem um wow and that same year 1935 butler gives an interview to common sense magazine where he tells the nation quote I spent 33 years and four months in active military service. And during that period, I spent most of my time as a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street and the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster
5: for capitalism. I remember that quote. Yeah, I remember that quote from the
6: police
8: (laughs) one.
5: Yeah, he was just like, man, I'm just a goon. Yeah, I was was just a goon. goon. Yeah. Just muscle, just a Mm -hmm. goon. And I, man, this needs to be in, dog, I wish-
4: there's a reason it's not in your history textbooks, yeah, I was you know. Like, this need to be in every history book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because
5: yeah, because the reality is we don't have. Like I was, as you were talking, I was like, "Do is there any figure in America now that could do that?" And I'm no. like, "I don't know. Only the imaginary one. Like, yeah. who, who's the movie? The American Sniper was that movie? Yeah, yeah, that. Like, yeah, yeah." yeah. That dude's imaginary. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Like a the, is a real the, guy,
4: real, the real person that he was was like a lunatic, like yeah. a dangerous like murderer
5: <laughs> and a liar. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he couldn't lead no yeah. fascist insurrection. Yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like if 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 the guy that that was portrayed was a real person, then maybe but we ain't got one in real life. You know what I'm saying? But the one that did exist came out of the other end going, yo, these wars were crap. Yeah. And I was just out there getting y'all's bags. Mm-hmm. And this is ridiculous. I was Damn. a fucking gangster. I was you know? a goddamn goon. Uh, and he spent the rest of his life giving
4: speeches and trying to radicalize veterans and mourning uh, in public that he and his comrades had only ever fought for, in his words, the benefit of millionaires and billionaires. He insisted Damn, that he had named names to the committee that he had that he had given the names of the people involved but that those names had been removed from his testimony before it was made public in a radio interview he insisted like most committees it has slaughtered the little and allowed the big to escape the big shots weren't even called to testify yeah <sighs> If that ain't the streets, bro. It, it's very, and it, it, it's not for nothing that he, he's, he names himself as a gangster.
5: You know, he yes. recognizes like, it's exactly why. Yeah. I'm saying the little, the little corner boy doing 15 years, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But nobody go to the, you know what I'm saying? The, 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 the Russian oligarch that got him 15 bricks. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like he's living nice in the Hollywood Hills. They don't mm-hmm. even, he's not even in the testimony. You know what I'm saying? That's crazy.
4: And it's fucking, one of the things that is, because there's so much that's a bummer about this story, right? That they just get away with it. But there is, yeah. there's hope in it too. And and the hope I think is in the story of Smedley Butler, this guy who could not have been a more dedicated soldier of imperialism and yeah. realizes he was wrong and spends the rest of his
5: life fighting against yeah, what he you had. Yeah, can't, you can't, yeah. you know, there's no time machine. You can't go back and yeah. undo what you did to, freaking haiti and costa rica and the banana wars you can't go back and redo that but i can do the best my best to pay it forward that's good man
4: yeah it's it is a it's a real story of 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 redemption and of a man who was had a you got to respect the amount of self-knowledge to be able to admit i spent 33 fucking years as a gangster yeah my friends died
5: in a gang war over money, yes. you know, like over they, money. They, they, they that's not even, even ours. Yeah. Like, we don't even get to collect. Yeah. Big Sean on that last record was like, dude, y'all dying over street corners. You don't even own mm-hmm. like, and it's like, yeah, that like that, where you just like, we don't even own, we don't even own these projects. We'll own these property. <sighs> Dang. That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's the business so, plot. <laughs> so it happened here. It happened here. Uh,
4: and yeah. the only reason it didn't happen all the way is that there happened to be one really good man in the middle of it.
5: Dang, that is crazy. Yeah.
4: So thanks, Medley Butler. <laughs> right? <laughs> we appreciate you.
7: One good dude. hmm Yeah, wow.
4: and I, I will say, I think that's maybe another one of the optimistic things to take out of it, is that it is a story of sometimes a single person with the right who is willing to make a moral stand can be the difference Mm -hmm. between calamity um, and, and, and not calamity, you know? Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Wow. Prop, you got some pluggables to plug as we, as we roll out of behind the insurrections.
5: This has been, you can't say a pleasure, can you? (laughs) But, It it was, I enjoy every time I get to like work with y'all and hear about the most horrible things in the world. They're always just, they're a great time of my day. Although it takes me like an hour to recoup after we do this. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, thank you so much again for having me. Prophiphop.com. If this, as of the day that you're hearing this, um, which is Thursday, right? Is this the Thursday one? Yeah. I will be dropping new music the next day, Friday morning, new video, new music. So uh, please go to PropHipHop.com. You can subscribe to the YouTube, get on Spotify. i have a ton of new music, um, a new coffee drop into uh, Hell yeah. So yeah, PropHipHop.com. I got to get you a bean, man. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I got to get you on Porigami Fridays too, man. Well, mm-hmm. you're not on Instagram.
4: Well, I I do have an Instagram. I only follow one guy so far, and he's the guy who's okay. making knives for me. You
7: have an Instagram? I feel betrayed.
4: I wanted to look at knives.
7: I mean, I forgive yeah. that part, but you should. Still-
4: but I could I could add I could have coffee and knives be my Instagram thing. What about Sophie
7: yeah. and Anderson? I get. I I talk to you on Signal. This is true. This is hurtful. I'm.
5: But I'm, I feel you. I feel you. Rob Either way, we're gonna me. figure it out yes I do you're, mm-hmm. you're a fun follow wait maybe you can log into the bastards do- pods Instagram and
3: oh, I've never
4: posted or whatever it is you do on Instagram do you post
5: <laughs> yeah
6: you post
4: yeah I could oh. add yeah. all right well don't we'll find out. me on Instagram anyway. because I am not going <laughs> to tell There's anyone no there there. you find me prop on Instagram no one else I will find you
5: <laughs> yes
4: yeah. Um, and yeah we'll, uh, we'll be back next week for a uh, something different um it'll be fun uh Yay. and a little bit of a break and then we'll probably get back to talking about genocides pretty soon won't be long
7: won't be yeah. long
4: a genocide every month that's the behind the bastards promise that is our promise
7: <laughs> have a good one bye,
5: bye.
0: On April 4th, 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King was shot and killed in Memphis. A petty criminal named James Earl Ray was arrested. Case closed, right? James Earl
6: Ray was a pawn for the official story. Some of the evidence, as far as I was concerned, did not match the circumstances. This is the MLK Tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, some 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
8: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you.
1: June 30th, 2024.